right in front of him. Crowd are looking, throws it alley. Oh! Welcome to a new episode of the Just Basketball Show, a Just Sports podcast. I'm Chris Manning. That's Brendan Green. If you haven't already, subscribe or follow us on your podcast platform. I'm sure it's five-star reviews only. Subscribe and hit that notification bell on the YouTube channel. Follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all your social media platforms of choice. Maybe we'll get a Mastodon someday, but, but who knows? That feels like the moment maybe it's passed on, on Mastodon. Brendan, we have a packed show today. Big t- big focus of today is going to be what things we have learned this season, our big lessons as we go into the All-Star break, go into the final stretch of the season. A couple quick news things to start with, though. Let's start with the, the actual transaction news. That's Kevin Love is going to go with a bio with the Cleveland Cavaliers. This was first reported by Shams and Jason Lloyd over at The Athletic. Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com had it that Love asked for the buyout before the Cavs played the 76ers, a game he did dress for but did not play. Brendan, I, I obviously like am very around Kevin Love. I the last time I think he spoke was the after Mitchell scored seventy one. He has not played in in about a month. When you when I say you think of this Kevin Love, what do you think this means for Cleveland? What do you think this this means for Kevin Love? Cleveland probably not a lot, right? I mean they've been very good all year. Whether he's playing, whether he's not playing, I know that they had a, a little bit of a of a downstretch in the winter while he was out. So maybe maybe they are missing something with him. I I don't tend to think of him as key to what they've been doing this season. So I I that's why he got bought out, right? He wasn't super in the rotation. They had seemingly made it sound like he wasn't going to play much the rest of the way. I relate to his desire to more than anything just play basketball. Um his shooting hasn't been great. He's had the back injury, the thumb injury on I believe his shooting hand and It all kind of makes sense. This was a player we thought might have been done in Cleveland a long time ago. The fact that they got these extra two years to me feels like a a cherry on top of an awesome legacy in that city with that team. He's not one of these players that needs to go out and like win a championship. And that's not probably what his thought process is right now, although I'm sure he would like to. So I do just kind of take it as he wants to go somewhere where he can play. And if he doesn't fit there, then great. I tend to like him on the Bucks. As I was going through some of the teams, you know, the Sergi Baca role that they thought he he could fill for them. They have Bobby Portis, although he's injured. So some depth for the rest of the regular season, another option in the playoffs, a little bit more of a, you know, depth for their small ball looks. I like that. I think there could be some other teams where he fits. I think it's a kind of one of those mutual things that, that just makes a lot of sense to me. And I don't personally view this as some sort of sad ending to his tenure there. I think the fact that, that he got these extra years to me is awesome. Maybe, maybe that's where we differ because I'm a little, and I'm just like a naturally, you know, kind of cynical person. I, this feels like a fitting kind of odd end to me because it doesn't end like on a high note. Maybe that was, maybe these things just never end on a high note, but Kevin love, I think like almost the perfect way for him to go out in, in his Cleveland run would have been to like be with this team in the playoffs maybe have a moment in the playoffs if they call his number and he goes out that way. And instead it's a buyout and he might join the, 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 the one team we've heard kind of publicly reported and have interest in him is the Miami heat who the Cavs very well could play in the first round of the playoffs. And like, it, like it's just like, that would be like an interesting little wrinkle. I, one what, more what LeBron, LeBron tie in as well. One more little yeah. weird poetic LeBron tie in. Oh boy. 
But what what I tend to think with this is I think they, they he is the thumb injury seemingly derailed everything with him this season. Before that thumb injury, he was playing close to the level or at the level he was at last year when he was a legitimate six man of the year contender. He was really good last year, really revitalized his last year. And the thumb injury changed things. And what I think has happened the last month is not only has Evan Mobley, like I think, filled up a need for a minute before, but Dean Wade came back from injury. Dean Wade is not the shooter Kevin Love is, but he's a better defender, offers a little more off-the-ball juice, uh, can attack closeouts in a way Kevin Love cannot. And they've gone that direction. And they, they're playing a little smaller at times now with, with multiple guards, a couple wings. They feel like they've just like outmoded Kevin Love. And then ultimately, I cannot blame him for wanting to get a trade, or, or wanting out, excuse me. I cannot blame him for wanting to go get a chance to play and asking for that. I can't, I can't ultimately blame him for that. I'm curious to see where he ends up. Phoenix would be my, my pick for him if I could pick anywhere. Yeah, I like that from a connection standpoint. Obviously, James Jones being the general manager, they're going to be looking for just any sort of depth that they can get. I tend to think like a, a very deep cut player, but somebody who really is looking like he'll be the backup center the rest of the way for the Suns, uh, Jock Landale. He is a pretty similar player to Kevin Love, you know? Um, maybe even a little better just because mobility is kind of the one thing that Landale gives you. And I don't necessarily think of love as like, you know, the quickest guy that you're going to send to crash the boards and do all this and that at this point in his career in that physical way. So I don't know. I I'm surprised to hear the, the thumb thing though, because if I remember right, it was in November, correct. And then he like, you look at his shooting splits. He had a 58 true shooting, making a lot of threes, November, December, and then it was really January where he cratered, kind of coupled with getting back from that back injury. So I don't know if I'm a. It's the th- it's, it's the th- it's the thumb. It's the th- I think it's all well, about. Then the how thumb. did why See, did that, he make so many where, shots for two story... months if the thumb was a problem? Because he was fine in terms of just making it, shots. No, it was. No, it was, there, there was a point where he the thumb happens later. He plays through it. And it's kind of clear that something's not right, and it just never got right. And it, and then he went and told after the JB Bickerstaff said he was kind of fine. He had said that it was still bothering him. He had went out of his way to say the thumb was still bothering him. So I, I think it is. I think it's the thumb. That is where my brain yeah. has gone in thinking about what has happened with Kevin Love. It feels it makes it me feels wonder like if it might get if me. it might have gotten worse. Then is is maybe what I'll say because uh, just looking at the percentages, it, it didn't really fall off precipitously until the past month, month and a half. But either way, I do think he can still make an impact. That's kind of the point I'm making is the thumb affecting him. Clearly, like he can't make like 20 percent of his threes like he has or he did in January. But if he can just get back to like league average three point rate, maybe this maybe the team will allow him to rest a little bit. Just get ready, get right and then uh, impact the playoffs. I think he could have a moment. And that's probably the way to think about it. Right. Like you said, just some moment in the playoffs when a team has foul trouble or there's a certain matchup or whatever. And that's kind of why I like the bucks. He could play that drop defense. He could space the floor for Giannis. I just, they have a roster spot, I believe still open and I could see him making an impact there. And and that's really all you're looking for with the buyout player. I mean, I, I, I personally am the type that like, it is a name, Kevin Love, like he's probably more impactful than some of the guys we've seen on the, on the buyout market, but these guys get bought out for a reason. I know they tend to be flashy names because they're v- veterans at the end of their careers, but like you're probably not talking about a player who's going to make too big of a dent in the final playoff or, or finals picture when it's all said and done. 
Sure. I'm going to let you cook now because the other uh, news we're going to hit on is that Mikel Bridges scored a career high 45 against the Miami Heat. Brendan, I'm just going to clear out. I'm going to let you let you ISO, <laughs> like dribble around, do whatever no. you want to do. Let's talk talk about Mikel Bridges go, oh, going man. off the other night. Um, do you mean? I like that we both said, "Oh man!" Do you by mean the way, cook by the way, we cry? just were like, "What's the like what?" I, I'm at, look. If you want to cry, this is a safe space. But <laughs> no, like, I did plenty. Whatever, whatever I did plenty you're, of that whatever last you're weekend. Um, I think this shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. It is really the place that I start with Mikhail Bridges because, yes, look, the aggressiveness, the confidence, the fire under his butt that you can clearly see as a Brooklyn Net. <laughs> That's new, and I, I do think the trade probably sparked that in him. And, and I don't think Mikhail's the kind of guy who wants to prove people wrong or any of that, but it's sort of just like, you know, like an ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, whatever. Like, I'll show you what you're missing type of thing. Like, yeah, you trade me. Like, it, this is what I am, you know? But this is not the type of player he was in Phoenix necessarily from an aggressiveness standpoint. That's the really new thing. The development all came. He had a, a, a breakout winter when Chris Paul and Devin Booker were dealing with injuries, but just the, the, I mean, you just have to have a certain level of I'm putting my head down and scoring to get 45 points in an NBA game. Like I think his previous career, I was like in the thirties, like this is, this is unforeseen. And Mm -hmm. so uh, that's pretty cool to see is just the, the trade sparking that level of intensity from him. And I hope it continues. He, you know, the, the nets don't really have like a go-to score. He's the closest thing they have. And, they might as well let him keep cooking. We'll see where that goes for them. But as far as his development, it's just on an upward trajectory for sure. I I agree. I, I He is so much fun. We will come back to this as a tease for later. I have Ooh. a Nets-related lesson, and Mikhail Bridges okay. factors into that and, and how him and Brooklyn factors into to that a little bit. So that, that is a tease for later. He's really good. I, I you know, four first-round picks, the, the Grizzlies reported off of for him feels crazy to me but uh he's very very good i but i just think like what what is that that is also a tease for later i'm i have some questions about what teams are giving how teams are trading picks and we'll, we'll discuss you're that you're teasing but a lot look feeling we gotta very get easy today feeling teasy feeling motivated feeling energetic feeling <laughs> hydrated you know we're, we're doing good over I here i have a quick oh hydrated i like that i have a thing uh real quick to circle back to your mastodon drive-by at the beginning of the show Wow. Um, I'm trying Shots. to think of who the who the NBA's player, the NBA player that is most like the website Mastodon. Because I, I at first I was going to say like it's Kevin Love, but no, Kevin Love is like the Facebook, I think, of of the NBA in terms of, you know, the the bygone era, the guy who had a, a great run for a long time and is now sort of fading into the sunset of, but of still, irrelevance but, a little but bit. But like still still drives Mastodon. Traffic. Facebook still does drive traffic, though, interestingly. Um, that's true. Well, we, that's like journalism nerdy stuff. But like people, yeah. most of our audience probably not using um, Mastodon. I'm trying to yeah. think. I'm looking at like recent drafts. Who's the guy who just flash in the pan and never was relevant again? Can um, I give you like the feels really kind of rude, but tell Here's, me. Yeah. Well, I, my brain went to Ben Simmons. My brain also went to Ben Simmons. <laughs> but... The he reason be, I didn't is go he the, with is, it he, is, is he the tw- is he the Twitter though? Because it's like he's had this like longer run of relevance and then just like absolutely cratered and became unusable. He got uh he became he went under the purview of a really rich billionaire and then became irrelevant. Yeah, I guess it is sort of like Twitter. Um, Mastodon, yeah, it's like Ben Ben at least had a longer 
stretch of relevance than Mastodon. Mastodon was like two days when all the tech reporters were telling us Twitter was going to break in the next 36 is, hours and is then everyone Ma made a Mastodon. Is Mastodon the insanity of social media? Maybe Cam Thomas is the oh, answer. I think that's what it is. Just we're all all right. we're talking all nets today, but I think yeah. it might be Cam Thomas. Yeah, I th I think you're right. All right, let's move just on to the break next. Thirty six hours. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on. Just abs absolutely cooking and then getting fined for saying some dumb stuff. So you know, good times. All right, let's move on to our next topic. It's the new look Dallas Mavericks. Brendan, this team is going to be crazy offensively. This team's identity to me is like most similar to what we are going to see in the same vein of like Denver, right? In that like, yes, there's concerns about the defense and I don't think their offense can be as good as Denver, but the way this team is going to win games and make teams uncomfortable in the playoffs is just by being an absolute juggernaut on offense. Kyrie has come out and he's done, had some just massive performances. Like he was sensate. They, they lost the game to the Wolves, but like he was sensational in the fourth quarter of that game. It was just like the best version of Kyrie you can get in a lot of ways. The defensive concerns obviously are a really, really big deal. They traded away a ton of defensive talent. They're going to ask so much now of Reggie Bullock and, and your guy, uh, Josh Green. But the talent with him and Luka, I have zero concerns about what that offense, what, what that offense can be, what it's going to produce, and how annoying it's going to be for some team to see in the playoffs. I think, yeah, the 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 discourse, so to speak, of the only one ball who takes the last shot. And like, it was a little ugly, right? In that wolves game when they were passing it back and forth a little bit, hot potato ish. Like I, it's fine. That stuff will get figured out. I, I think most of the time the answer is going to be Luca, but in a situation like that, the answer is always, it doesn't really matter who takes the shot. Cause they're both very good players. Um, and I also just think from a Kyrie standpoint, like we've seen, a bunch of different types of players be effective and productive next to Luca. We kind of try to make it out that it's just been this one man show his whole career, but that's, it's not really true. Yes. His usage is crazy. Yes. He, he dominates the ball in a very LeBron like way, very methodical half court. Give, you know, let me cook, let me scout and scour the floor and, and do whatever I think is right type of way. But Brunson, Hardaway, Dinwiddie, these are all guys who we've seen put up monster nights off ball next to Luca or on the ball in the case of Brunson at times. And so I just think Kyrie's kind of a combo of all those players. I don't see it being an issue. I, I, I really do zoom in completely on the defense. I think in the two games they've played because Luca missed the first Kyrie game and then Kyrie missed Wednesday night in Denver there, they had a negative 3.3 net rating and that's almost entirely because of the defense. I think it was like, a 122 offensive rating, which is incredible. And then like a 125 defensive rating, which is very bad. They were already a bad defense, right? And so you're just, you're taking more away from that. And you're going to rely so much on the guys who are already there, who weren't, weren't producing, weren't, weren't stopping teams the way you want. And I guess Maxi Klebo will help would be one point I would make Chris He's been out. He tore his hamstring, which is just one of those things you like shudder every time you have to say it. That sounds brutal. He had to get surgery yeah. on a torn hamstring, which very painful, but he should be back soon. And he's really good. Switchable guy. They're just going to start switching everything, putting a bunch of wings, going small. That's going to have to be what they do in the playoffs. But I just don't know if that's going to be enough to beat the best teams, especially in a conference right now ruled by Nikola Jokic, who they don't have any answer for right now. 
number one, uh, Brennan, here's Gordon the clean of the glass, the offensive rating with Doncic and Kyrie on the floor together so far. Have you looked at this? No, I looked at that number I gave was just the, the game, the whole yeah, okay. you know, course of two games. I have not looked at those two specifically. Give it to me. 131.2. That is the offensive rating. That is like, like I want to say like 15 points somewhere around that above league average. And it's a small sample, but that is yeah. like flamethrowers, incredible offense, good. The, the best offense on the year is at 119.3. That's Denver. And that's overall, like, I'm, you know, I'm sure they have some inflated ones as well because Jokic is that good. But, like, the league average is 114.7. That This offense is playing at an insane level. On the flip side, you're right. The defense is bad. The defensive rating is 120.7 with those two guys on the floor. The average defensive rating in the league this year is 114.7. The worst defense in the league is the San Antonio Spurs, who are at 121.3. So if they slotted in as, like, a, a this was, like, their full ratings, insane offense absolutely horrendous defense and like that that is not a recipe ultimately to win a title you're it's impossible to win a title when your defense is is this bad it just is it doesn't it doesn't work that way you're gonna have a hard time not just defending like denver but like they go up against like they see the well if you see this can imagine them seeing the suns again like with with this look of the suns it's like i don't know how they're dealing with anything and yet brendan this is where I, i lead myself with dallas I wonder if, like, it, it maybe just to ride out the rest of the year and maximize whatever this run is going to be, and then you have to obviously figure out the Kyrie thing in the summer. Is it maybe just worth, like, like, hey, Christian Wood, let's just play you 30 minutes a night and just score as many points as possible at all times and try to win games away? That feels to me, like, risky, but, like, you're not going to... You don't have the wings, mm-hmm. and Kleba is not going to, like, solve all of this for you by himself. It's a good role player. But like, if your whole defensive identity and have and putting together competent lineups hinges on Maxi Kleba coming off of a torn hamstring, I don't think that's really going to solve it for you. And like, yes, you're going to lose the Theo Pinson minutes and things, and that's going to help you when you get better players in there. Yeah, Hardaway also. Yeah, out, you'll get right? Hardaway back, and, and that'll yeah. help. But like, I wonder if it's just like Christian Wood, go hard now. Doncic, Kyrie, Bullock, uh, Doncic, Green, Irving, Bullock, Wood is a lineup I really like. It is not. It, it's only played 11 possessions. The numbers on it are not great. But I, I think you maybe just got to try Wood at the five in a larger sample, play him more. And because you don't know what's happening with his future either. Like you're in a very weird position where like you have these pieces. You got to figure out how they all fit. And I wonder if you yeah. just lean into it and see what happens. I think that they will resign Wood or sign and trade him because you just can't lose that asset. Um, he's playing less than 20 minutes per game in February. And like, I don't fault Jason Kidd for doing that. Like, that's how bad it is defensively with him. I like you just, I mean, Darren Fox cooked them. You saw Anthony Edwards getting into the paint. Like he is, he is bad on defense and he's 27. So that, you know, people think of Christian Wood as like, you know, he's finally getting his footing in the NBA. He's not a young player. And so, like, he's not, you're not banking on, well, we'll resign him and you'll keep developing. No, probably not. And so, I don't know. I I tend to feel like you just treat that as a separate situation. When you're talking about winning, the reason I do think that they're a contender, still maybe on the very fringes of that conversation, it's just the talent. But it's, it's more than just, like, they have Kyrie and Luka. It's the fact that, Luka in the playoffs is a very different thing, just like LeBron was, just like James Harden was. When you have the ability in the half court to just control the game, when you are so efficient and effective and can process things 
the way that Luca and those other guys can, you can the entirety of a series becomes played on your terms. And I think part of the reason the Clippers were such a bad matchup for the Mavs in the past is because Kawhi is also one of those guys. He can go toe to toe when the game just slows down and you're playing these 90 to 88 games like Kawhi can match that. There's going to be some matchups where that is a little weaker for Luka, but I also think there's going to be a lot of matchups like the Grizzlies or the Kings where he will just own the context that the series is played for from start played under from start to finish. And I do think if you can just find a lineup where it's switch everything, we're going to just, you know, D up man to man. Don't let the ball get past you. Try to do your best that way. We're not going to protect the rim much. We're not really going to have, you know, creating turnovers. We're not really going to do much. It's just going to be try to stop the people from making shots. That's going to be our defensive game plan. And then let Luca cook on the other end and slow the game down. I can imagine a couple of series going their direction, potentially if things break right with that uh, kind of structure in mind, but it's not going to be, um, it's not going to be perfect. They're not going to be the team I picked to win the West by any means, but you just, it's undeniable with the talent that they have and that they have enough pieces to cobble together a rotation still, I think. No, I, I, I think that's right. And I have the same concerns. I think I'm a little lower on them than you are. I, I think we're that that's fair to say that I tend to think that they are not in that championship contendership. I think it's PTSD, least- Chris. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I think some of it is <laughs> just... I watched I watched them commit murder in front of me and I it's hard to it's hard to scrape to scrape that. I do like do you agree though that Luca is just he he is at that level of when he is in the playoffs from what he's proven that you can't just fully ignore the potential that he has to take over a series like that. No, 100%. He if there's anyone that could pull like a 2007 LeBron and like drag a team in this NBA to that level, it would be him. 2018 right? like, LeBron think, even, you know, like we've seen. Yeah, it, yeah, right? yeah. It's 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 if there's a guy that could do that, it's probably Luca. Like yeah. a, just the singularity and like I but I'm also it's also like the talent level so high that it's just like I just find that to be unlike that. That is where I um I, I end up on that. But Brandon, let's go into our main topic. NBA lessons heading into the All-Star break. I'm going to go first. We we have not revealed these to each other. Uh, so this is going to we're going to do a little talking through some things. I'm going to, I'm going to go first and I'm going to, I'm just going to get my unfun one out of the way. Okay. And that's it. I think it might be over for Ben Simmons. <laughs> I think it's just done. I think, I think yeah. we are at the point with Ben Simmons where this is a wrap. I, I don't know what to do with him. I don't know how to think of him as like a, a real NBA player anymore. Like with where Ben Simmons is at and the way he was playing, even with Katie and Kyrie, that was like a player you had a really hard time playing. That was already a problem, right? Like you already had this big problem with him being someone that you couldn't totally play a ton. That that was already a really big concern for you. And then you see what Jock Vaughn said about him the other night. And it's like, oh, like he doesn't totally fit in what we're doing here now. Like there's all these factors where it's just like, I don't know what to do with him. He doesn't just impact you in a helpful way anymore. He's not doing anything that's really like driving you forward in a positive way. All of this is just like entirely complicated. And I I don't think there's a fix. I don't think there's like a really obvious way to just kind of rehabilitate him. And I think he almost fits in this Brooklyn entity even worse 
in a world where you have all these three and D wings. Yeah. And like, I don't think he fits there. And like, he might have the worst contract in the league. I don't know how you fix Ben Simmons. I don't know how it happens. I don't know yeah, if I it's possible. I don't think that there's any fixing it. I, I agree with you. Um, this makes I, me sad, though. I want to just say for the record, this yeah. makes me very sad that Ben Simmons has had this precipitous fall. Yeah, it's it, it's to the point with him, like from a big picture standpoint, where, you know, it. I guess it's not exactly the same as Russell Westbrook, but there does get to be a point where... Russ is a tenable player, though. Ben Simmons is not. That is that is the difference. I mean, from the narrative standpoint, what I mean oh, is okay. just the idea that it switches from, you know, it, it's almost it's like Tua, I think, in a way in the NFL, like these players where the conversation kind of needs to abruptly switch from like what's in their best interest for the rest of their life rather than like, let's debate at, you know, our our, our Super Bowl parties or our you know, whatever, hanging out with our friends about who's better and who's worse and, and all that. And and it's switched that way with Ben Simmons, right? It's just, it doesn't feel like basketball is the best thing. And like, I'm not saying that as like deciding that for him, but I'm saying that as, as an observer of his career, and we've all watched this guy go from an amazing player to not an amazing player, no matter what the situation has been, maybe there's some version where he goes, like we saw with Markel Fultz, like we've seen with other players to a smaller market, a a worse team, maybe a place that just fits his style better. Maybe there's a situation or a, a coaching staff or a, a friend on another team that would help get him back to, to where he needs to be. But for the most part, it just feels like something is, is really broken and really off in a way that you just got to start to reevaluate how you're handling him. I think if you're his agents, if you're his family, if you're his support structure, because I think if we were in any other walk of life that wasn't sports, Chris, like, if you or me knew somebody in our jobs or in our lives who felt as off as Ben Simmons does, we'd be worried about them. Right. And like, I know we all made fun of like the mm -hmm. way that rich Paul went about demanding the trade and, and talking about mental health and they weren't very open about it. And the Sixers didn't give him his salary and he had to sue them to get it back. And they settled and like the drama, I think kind of clouded the fact that it does feel like there is, something deeper going on with this dude. And you just got to hope that part gets right and almost take the basketball out of it. Because right now, if, if, if Ben Simmons never had that beginning of his career and he was just coming into the NBA, we wouldn't care about him, right? Like he would just be a player who we would assume would be out of the league in a few years. And I, that's kind of where he is from a basketball standpoint. The more important part to me is just, can he, can he fix or improve where he's at? And I don't know, of course, what, to do about that, but that's that's probably where my head would be if I was around him. Yeah, I have I I just I just don't know what you even like do to like figure like I just don't know how you figure this out. I don't know if it's possible in like a bat in in the basketball sense. And you hope that like there is like another way forward for him. It's just like I don't like what is it like what what is it that is going to allow Ben Simmons to like if he can figure this out like it, it just feels i think your point about the i think your point about this fit being worse for him is a good one though because this is a team it's kind of interesting that would probably fit how what we thought a perfect ben simmons team would be back in his prime where it's small ball it's switch everything it's shooters around him and just kind of play up tempo and, and throw the ball around and you know almost play like a 
playground style of basketball where everybody's just getting involved in, in cooking. He has that now and it feels bad, right? So it's like, I, is there a basketball situation or anything that you even feel like would make sense for him? Or do you, do you just think he carries his out, carries his career out and maybe at the end of this contract, it, it isn't basketball after that. The Spurs would be one that I think could make some sense. I think Charlotte, I think it has to be a franchise that is like not interested in winning basketball games and, and is willing to do the rehabilitation work over the next like two to three years. It's that's the only situation. He cannot go to anywhere right now with two state. to three years. But like, yeah. like, but it, I mean, you're probably right. But that's but like, crazy. Like, the dude's in his like mid twenties yeah, already. But like, let's end on this. Let's go into something that isn't like sad. <laughs> has anything with Ben Simmons this year and him coming back? Has anything with him moved forward? My answer is no. Nothing has moved forward with him. Yeah. No. 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 Everything has moved back. So. You don't, uh, I mean, he's making 57% of his twos, but you know, it feels like even lately it's gotten worse than he, it was before, the, like at the beginning of this season. So it, even over the course of the season, it's, it's worsened. The, it's not even just from the last time we saw him, right? The pass he made to, uh, Claxi in the other night, I was just like, oh my God, like this is, this is, he was right there and he just didn't. Yeah. Didn't do anything. And I was just like, okay, this is this is a right. It's a bummer. All right, Brandon, let's let's go on and pick give me a happy one. <laughs> like let's I was feeling all yeah. positive and then I did this. So just give me give me give me some juice here, my guy. Yeah, okay. So this is more of a basketball one too and it is uh, centered on a few players that I think have really defined the NBA season, maybe not at the very top of the NBA, but in terms of like the stylistic evolution of the league and just the new players that we're enjoying for the first time who are breaking out. I think they could even be players we dive into more maybe during the stretch run of the season too, Chris. But the way I framed it was that we're seeing the evolution of the traditional classic like floor general superstar point guard. And I've gotten the pleasure of covering or watching two of them up close in Chris Paul and Steve Nash, who both passed through Phoenix. But Jason Kidd, um, there's this well established lineage of these guys. And I think there was a lot of panic about like, what's happening to that type of player? Will we ever see them again? Or is everybody just going to be, you know, score first ball dominant player. And the three guys that I, that I locked into, and then I have a fourth one that, that might spice this up even more, Chris, but it's Tyrese Halliburton, Shea Gildas Alexander and Darius Garland. Mm. And you look at those guys, not everything about them statistically or stylistically is exactly the same, but I just think this sort of patience and IQ and whatever to kind of transform how those previous older traditional point guards played to like this new way of manipulating the space that the NBA has today while still setting your teammates up and impacting the game primarily as a playmaker is just super exciting to watch. And it, I think it mostly to me goes to show that like we should stop pretending like anything is at an end point. I have another one on this later in terms of like the evolution of the game stuff, but we all, we should just stop panicking and let these amazing players kind of like evolve before our eyes. And those three to me are, are like this beacon of like, that's what's next from the point guard spot. And it's been really fun. And I think 
they're all all stars. So even better. Our Garland is not, but could have been. Gar- should, I, I'm I, really excited yeah, watching. I think, should, I, th- I think should have been. Um, I think he's had like just as good of years last year in a lot of ways, and I think this is a great one. All of these guys in their own ways are like breaking or even kind of like changing the molds of certain stuff. Like look at how Shea plays, I think is maybe the best way to look at this. Shea does not like take threes and take pull-up threes. He makes like really tough buckets. His footwork is incredible. He gets inside and does his damage. He is not like relying on pull-up threes. Like th- like these guys are like the evolution of point guard. Two of them in particular in, in Halliburton and Shea, I think being bigger guards yeah. is like a really interesting little wrinkle to this and that that they have like really nice size and, and wingy size. That is like an interesting little bit of an evolution. Um, I, I think this is a great call. I, I think the seasons these guys are having and just the talent you have in some of these young guards right now is like this Dame, Steph Curry like era is going to phase out at some point. But like, think about how many guys are going to be left after that that are going to be like just as good or just as interesting and like taking that position forward. And like that, we're not even getting into guys like, you know, like we're not, we didn't talk about like LaMelo. We didn't talk about like, uh, like, yeah, you know, Jalen Brunson isn't that same guy, but like he's a little older, but he's having like that kind of incredible year. Like, there's all these guys. Like, there's there's guards sure. coming up. You have someone like Scoot coming up, who's gonna like really do some interesting things. Like, this is a great position. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's a a ton. I mean, point guard might be one of the more stacked spots in the NBA when you talk about those those veterans who are probably still the best ones. But then there's you know guys right behind that. I I, I and I think there is still that like score first kind of you know. I, and they're not quite, nobody's really like Dame or, or, or Steph, but you know, the John ja Morant's, the Trey Young's, the De'Aaron Fox's, not all those guys play exactly the same way, but their, their scorers first and foremost, Ja, especially this year has, has kind of had to do that. I think he could fit actually into this a little bit in his previous seasons, but your point on the size is really, is really good. I just think like, Tyrese Halliburton is probably the best example of what I'm talking about. His usage is barely above 20%. There's been games recently, which I think is maybe an issue. Maybe as we, as we talk about his career going forward, where he's taken less than 10 field goal attempts, like this guy is able to lead a a good offense and, and be the focal point of an offense on his team without looking to score much at all. Very cool to watch. And then on the opposite side, you have Shea who, has taken on an even bigger load as uh, in terms of usage rate. His his assist percentage has gone down. His turnover percentage has gone down. He, like you said, he's taking less threes, and yet he's having the most efficient shooting season of his entire career. That dude is a superstar, like bar none. There is no argument against that now. And this is probably one of the more unique players in the entire NBA when you just mix all of that together at his size with the types of players they've put around him to watch what he's doing. So it's just fascinating to see how the league continues to innovate with what types of players get to have the ball. How do we put players around them to maximize that? And then how do those players evolve once they're given that structure? And these guys aging into their primes is going to be one of the cooler things to watch in the league. I think the next few years. It's it's all interesting to me that like on your list, you don't like he's obviously a very different player in terms of how he plays, but you don't have Ja on this list, which I think is kind of an he interesting. He feels traditional like, to me, though. He's right? a very I think like, he's, he's sort he plays of like there. John Wall. Yeah. Or no, that's what I'm guys. saying. Yeah, it's like it's like Wall. He's like of the Wall Westbrook yep. Derrick Rose yep. kind of. Mold. He's the evolution of, of that style. And I mean, look, we have such a, a variety, right? I mean, like Trey Young is more of that uh, Damian Lillard type and. 
there's there's no shortage of examples of that type. I think in, in the past, we might have actually put Trey on this list, but I think his his worst habits have been hard to kick. But um, yeah, it's just going to be cool to see how that position specifically continues to evolve, especially as we have more of these big wings who handle. And it's not as old school like it used to be where the the point guard just he's he's the guy he initiates then then we all do stuff off of that like there is so much more versatility among other players too so what do these small guys do and how do they evolve and we're we're kind of seeing it i will can't wait to see these guys in the playoffs garland will be there this year i don't think we'll see the pacers or the thunder here in in meaningful ways this year we might see shay in a a play-in yeah that could be fun i want to see these guys like making some playoff runs can't can't wait for all of them to kind of get to get to that spot like it was it's watching getting to watch Garland in that I think in person this year is one of the things I'm most looking forward to about the playoffs. All right, Brandon, here's my next one. I think this I have a feeling that this will be somewhere with yours as well, but yep, I think it it's I think it is time for us to stop for us to assume stop assuming that stars are just going to play 82 games or play like the vast majority of games anymore. There will be exceptions. Some guys will. Some guys will get there and, and be really durable and they but they will be the anomaly we are out of the era of the best players in the league playing every single night anymore it is just not the culture of the league it is not the way this league works it is not anything where we are at is just guys are gonna take more games off like just think i'm sure you've had this in phoenix and i'm sure every market has the story but this year the Cavs like didn't get the warrior like steph or draymond or any of those guys one night they got a clippers team that like just rested everybody Although I got to watch Jason Preston, and that was like a, that was a win for, for you know for me personally. Um, and then you did, and then you you have others, and you they've had like Luca didn't play in Cleveland this year, and you're just gonna have times where like LeBron's gonna be in your city, Giannis is gonna be in your city, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant are gonna be in your city, and you want to see them, and you're not gonna get to because that's just where the league is at. That I I think this is just part of where we are in understanding that no one's gonna play the two games anymore. Yeah, we had that moment with. Uh, with Jimmy Butler, right, where the the little kid had the sign of "I traveled however many miles to come see my favorite the, player, Jimmy Butler," and there was he went a, to Miami's arena. There's a Luca thing with that in Cleveland, where a kid like flew from Israel to like see Luca, and then he didn't play. Yeah, and and then Jimmy did did a really cool thing and and spent time with the kid the next day, and that was a, a great way to make it right. I think Butler's probably not in the category we talk about because I think Tom Thibodeau broke him, but uh, <laughs> these guys who these guys who don't. Who, who do it for maybe less provable reasons. I mean, you, you just never really know. And I do think, Chris, that there is an element of it in terms of the the realness of the injuries or what what's just load management, fake superstar drama, diva stuff, which is what a lot of the talk shows and stuff make this about. I think there's an inverse of that too, People like Mike Prada with his book have have talked a lot about this. I think you look at soccer and, and modern soccer, which is you know, superstars rarely play all the time and they play fewer games even than basketball. But the, the deal is like as this stuff, as the level of athleticism, as the the spaced out nature of basketball, the pace that you're you're moving, you're just physically moving more, you're changing direction more, you're doing all this stuff more and more than it used to be in the you know older eras of basketball that was very post-up centric very iso centric very stagnant that it it is 
contributing to more injuries. And I do think that there's a, a legitimacy to that. And then you throw in the fact that COVID piled all these games on top of each other and guys had to play a ton more than they were expected to or supposed to. Uh, I, I think it all is real at the same time. I don't know about you though, Chris. I look at the news and I saw this article going around that NBA attendance this year is set to be one of the highest ever. Did mm-hmm. you see this? I did. To me, it's more of a PR problem then. This is not this is not affecting their bottom line in the way that that the the media, the big picture media, ESPN, the people who set the conversation act like it is. This is not a problem for the NBA in like the real in the red versus in the black type of way. Um, it's more of a PR problem. And I do think there's like some future stuff that, that that could affect. But what do you make of that part of it? If if this is something they actually should care about changing to like save the league or anything, because that's how the conversation has kind of become. So here here's where I go with that. And this ties into like, I'm not going to like really explain this, but like my part of my day job involves some stuff with like a industry events. And there has been like a big discussion within the company I work at that like we have seen event numbers go back to like pre-pandemic level that COVID was like the, the big boon coming out of COVID from like a opportunity standpoint for some things has been live events. I feel like the NBA benefits from that. I feel like the NBA absolutely benefits from that. And I, my, I wonder if that wanes at all. I wonder if in like a year, two years, people are kind of getting more used to being back out there all the time. And they like, the prices are really high and whatever. If we do see a point where that becomes a thing, like there are factors that are beyond the NBA's control that will play into this. I don't think it's like fully like, in, and like that nuance probably will get lost would be the, thing I would suggest it's just like, ultimately like we are probably not going to see like a very nuanced discussion that factors into all these, these things kind of in, in how the, the way we talk about sports kind of works. But I think this is like a, a big, this is beyond like an NBA problem in some ways in terms of people going to games and attendance. Like this is, this feels like a societal thing in terms of people just being ready, really ready to go back and like be at live events again post the pandemic when we could not for a long time, or at least you could not if you're sure. being like uh, trying to trying to like follow the guidelines and be you know a, a reasonably healthy human being. It's all a great point. I, I don't think we should treat what what's happening now as permanent. I think we're still figuring out what sports and other places, other industries will look like in this sort of hybrid world. And and I do think that the digital isn't necessarily like separate from this conversation either, right? The idea of like, but you also don't want people turning off or not tuning into games on TV if players are injured. And that's just as big of an issue because that's a huge revenue source as well for for these leagues and teams is just, you know, people buying cable packages, watching games, buying league pass, all that well, stuff. That's not good either. And then there's also well, like the, the future well, part of it, right? The, yeah. ca- the cable thing in itself is like something where I think we're going to have to discuss <laughs> well, very soon because of what's happening yeah. with Bally. And I believe Bally, you have a Bally. Sure. You're the team you're primarily watching is on Bally. The Cavs are, are a Bally yep. team. It's a big deal. That's going to be a continuously yeah. really, really big deal. Yeah. And I think you want to give people, you want to continue to give people a reason to pay for watching basketball games, no matter what, entity owns that and so players not playing affects that as well and then i think like long term too there's just the issue of like you're talking about a generation of people that don't have the habit of consuming basketball and then you know what happens when that generation are the primary consumers of stuff in the world when they're in their 30s 40s 50s and they don't care about the nba like you might want them to then you're really talking about a problem so you don't want to treat it as a non-issue 
while those people are going through their early part of their lives and then they just don't have basketball as a, a passion. And then you really are talking about the fandom of the sport. So it's not a nothing burger to me, but I could see in the short term why it, it is more of a PR problem than anything else because the new TV deal is expected to be massive. People are coming to games at record levels. The league isn't really incentivized right this instant to do something major about it. We'll see if it really affects this this new CBA, uh, but I wouldn't be expected if it didn't in a in a huge way, at least not yet. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, uh, let's go on to you. Do I since I think I overlapped on one of yours. You give us the next one. Okay, let's go back to some some nerdy basketball um, minutia here a little bit. The Victor Wembanyama Scoot Henderson tank race that we all projected. Where'd that go? What happened to that? We have four teams who seem to want to actually be bad, and the race to the bottom that we all expected, even at the trade deadline, didn't really happen. When you talk about Indiana, didn't you know they kept Miles Turner? They extended him. In fact, the Bulls they didn't get rid of any of their players. Bradley Beal is still. On the Wizards, the Jazz got a little worse, but not a lot worse. Obviously, the Lakers and Trailblazers aren't incentivized to lose. The Thunder, there's only so much worse they can get because they're so young already, but they didn't really do much to, to get any. But we're not seeing these shutdowns like we've seen in Oklahoma City and other and other places at times to just <laughs> take your best players off the court so they can stop making you better. Um, this, this historic draft class that we spent all of the early part of the season excited about and projecting that all these teams were going to go do their best to get these guys. It's just, it just didn't happen, which maybe there's still time, but we only have about 25 games left in the year. I think that bottom four is pretty solidified at this point and no one else really tried to get into it. Yeah. Here's what I think happened, Brendan. I think those four teams on their own were just bad enough. Like those four teams were just so bad that like that took care of themselves. If you go look at the net ratings for some of these teams, and, and you just look at what this is. The Spurs are minus. This is a cleaning the glass, which which for people that maybe don't know, factors out. Um, it, they factor out garbage time. Garbage time. Forgot the word for a second. Spurs are minus 10.3 per 100 possessions. Okay. Houston is minus 9.2 per 100 possessions. Detroit is minus 8.0. And ha- having telling you, having seen them in person recently, that team, man. Oh, my goodness. Holy crap. That team is awful. <laughs> Charlotte Hornets, minus 6.5. Just like a light minus uh, getting outscored by like six and a half points per hundred possessions. The, Brandon, the 20s, the team in the, with, the, with the fifth to worst net rating is the Indiana Pacers. They are at minus 3.7 per hundred. Like that is a sizable gap between the fifth worst and the fourth worst and a massive gap between mm-hmm. the fifth worst and the fourth worst. I would wonder if like some of these teams that we're looking at here looked at what was going on, looked at what their options were, and said, you know what, like, I don't think we can outbad these teams that are already way ahead of us in this tank race. It feels like these teams that are really, really bad just were like so much organically worse than anyone who could catch them that we've we've ended up. Yeah, well, here's my question, though, right? I, I agree with you, and I don't know if there was any, like, we could have looked preseason and expected that to a, to a degree, right? Like, maybe Orlando, we might have thought would be worse than they are. They've been better lately. Indiana, too, but Orlando's in, those the, the four or, worst Orlando's in that play-in race. They are. Yeah, they've they've out they've out overachieved for sure. But the question that I have is, why did no one why was no one? Why is no one in a hurry to get to fifth? Because if we've learned anything from these flattened out lottery odds, 
It's that you don't really have to be so aggressive to getting to the worst record in the entire NBA in order to have a decent shot at a great player. You can be in that, you know, five to 10 range and, and maybe you can jump. So that's, I think, what surprised me more is that a lot of those teams in that range have just continued to try to win rather than making sure like, okay, we're not getting to, to the top four, but we're going to, we're going to be damn sure we're fifth, you know, like that even has happened in past seasons and no one really was in a rush to do that this year, despite how great those top two players are in the draft. Yeah. I, I think that's dead on. I think I, I, I there, there's probably something about like values. People are getting back on picks and things that kind of change this. And, and I wonder how many organizations have decided, like, it's not like we just don't want to be a team that does that. You know, like, I think that's clearly like I've been a thing off for a long time in Indiana, like the Lakers yeah. and Clippers are like, you know, weirdly there and like point differential and like, but like, they're obviously not going to do that. Atlanta just made this big trade. They're there in terms of point differential 22nd and they're not going to do that. Washington is like yeah. for years just refused. You know, to do that, like, I wonder if Danny Ainge is like, okay, like, we already have all these picks. I wonder even how I can, like, reasonably kind of, like, it feels like some of these teams that, like, maybe could have, like, Chicago feels like a team that could have just been like, F it. Let's just go try to be the fifth worst team in the league the rest of the year. Trade DeMar, trade Levine. Oh, that's, it's true. So they're, they're, like, that's, that's probably the other, that's probably the other part of this. Well, that's that, the, the two things that I think do explain it. And then we can go to your, your, your next takeaway here is, I think one is a lot of these teams um, either don't have their picks because we've seen so many traded lately or the picks that they do have by way of getting them back for their superstar players like the Jazz. Oh, wait. Um, Actually, Brendan, you know, I, I, I just want to say real quick, I was at, in my brain. I, I knew there was something I was forgetting. The Bulls first round pick is top four protected in 2023. Mm. So I'm just saying. So. Yep. It's then top four protected yep. in 2024 again, and then it becomes second rounders in 2026 and 27. That is incentive to tank. Yeah. Chicago, do better. Yeah. Well, do, they didn't. Do worse. And do better. To. <laughs> do, do, should have done yeah. better by being a lot worse of a basketball team. So to finish what I was saying, I think with right, the, like the Jazz and other teams, like they could easily package up what they, the picks that they have and jump, right? And so a team like that doesn't have an incentive to necessarily be the worst team themselves. The Thunder fall in this camp as well, right? They feel probably like if they have a player in the top four or five, whatever that they want to go get in the draft, they could just trade everything they have to jump in the draft and go from nine or wherever their pick is up to one if, if they want to give a godfather offer for something like that. The other part of this is some of it's just the parity. Some of it is the play-in. I think those things do affect it. But when you talk about parity, I think the number one factor in that sense is a lot of these bad teams, even if they're awful, they have a star player because there's so much talent in the NBA right now, right? Like Orlando, they probably feel like Paolo and Franz Wagner are going to be their guys. Why do they need to, to waste another season getting another one? You always want more talent, but there's only a certain amount you really want to go out of your way to lose in order to, to get it. They just got the number one overall pick. Indiana, they're having this blow, breakout season from Tyrese Halpert. Why do they need to, to blow up their season to go get a really high draft pick? Um, and I think that's a, a big part of this too, Chris. Like, I actually think the Pistons of any team might be the best suited because they just lost this season by Cade Cunningham organically, and now they're in position to add another really good player. They just got Jaden Ivey too, who's had a little bit of an up-and-down rookie season, but they have a, a great shot to add another player without really making Cade develop these bad habits or sit out for, for no reason like the Thunder have done with Shy, And then 
they they get uh, a great player in return. So there are a lot of incentives and different things that have to factor into this, but I am surprised overall still that we didn't see one team even like the Bulls maybe just say, you know what, F it, we're just... We're gonna just tank the season because this this talent is too undeniable. But maybe that could still happen. There are some teams within shouting distance that could shut players down and do that uh, in the next twenty five games or so. Bulls just cowered their way out is is where I'm at. All right, mine's mine's related <laughs> to this. So I'm I want to look at the twenty twenty one draft class because this was a really really interesting draft class. This was a very very good class. Couple things that I think I think happened there. Um, I felt like Brennan, like we were in a place with those guys that like last year they might have been very ascendant, right? Like these guys might have been in a very just ascending kind of place that they were gonna take the all of them maybe were gonna be a step forward. And then you look at this year, you look at what has happened. I don't think we have that with all of them necessarily, right? Like I think we're in a position where some of them have definitely taken steps, some of them have been Really interesting. I think Evan Mobley the last month has been awesome. I think Franz Wagner has been like a really, really awesome piece for Orlando as they're kind of making that push. But like, it doesn't feel like Scotty Barnes has maybe like elevated in a certain way. It doesn't feel like Jalen Green, obviously, on on an absolute disastrous Houston team that I I has no identity to me is is taking a step forward. And then Kate is obviously out for the year with the shin injury. So it's like. Maybe this is just a reminder that like as good as draft classes can be and how much potential is in this draft class, it does not feel to me like this is this class has maybe ascended in the cleanest way possible and that like it's gonna still take some time for these guys to really like implement and that I think this extends forward in the future. Like next year's draft class has a lot of guys people love. Scoot, Wemby, the Thompson twins. Their path is not gonna be linear either. And for me, this is where I go to with this class. It's never going to be linear with them. Some of these situations are obviously very different and very challenging. I don't really like, I empathize a lot with Jalen green and what's going on in Houston because that situation is just horrendous, you know, but these guys have not just kind of ascended, ascended, ascended. It has been a little trickier to navigate. I think in, in evaluating that whole draft class. Yeah, I think year two is tends to be, weird for for some players but i think the fact the thing that really would worry me about some of these players is and the fact that there are so many of them that fit this description is just a weird quirk with one whole class of players to 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 trend in this direction i think it's just that they haven't i haven't seen a lot of these players add new things to their games you know i i watched scotty barnes and i you know like raptors fans have pointed out he's he's more has a, a better head on his shoulders on the defensive end. He doesn't get lost a, as much there using the athletic skills that we know he has a little bit better. You know, Jalen Green, I don't feel like there's been much new for him. He, he still feels like a little bit of a, of a lost soul on offense and, and defense is pretty much non-existent. Cade, we, separate conversation. You even put guys like Kuminga and Moody who have, very, who have had very weird careers mm-hmm. just because they're in that little two-timeline craziness with the Warriors. Chris, the craziest thing to me, because I think you described a lot of the top guys pretty well, is how quickly, like 11 through 20 of this draft, is just nothing. Um, uh, 10 through 20. I mean, Zaire Williams, I kind of like. We'll see what he becomes in Memphis. But you go through James Booknight, not really doing much for for the... And it's Josh there's, Primo. Well, there, there, there's, there's some off the court stuff with Boonet that is uh, tr- very troubling. Same thing and with Primo. And, and with you know, Primo, he got yeah. Cut for 
some pretty awful things with a, a female assistant on their staff. Chris Duarte is not playing for uh, the Pacers. Corey Kisper just sort of not a very special looking player at this point in his career with Washington, although he was older. Trey Mann in Oklahoma City, really just a role player, didn't really pop. Kai Jones in uh, Charlotte, not really playing. Keon Johnson, a name we barely hear. He's in Portland. Like all these players, it's just like, usually you see a lot of these guys pop. There's there's one or two and there are like Shengun and, and you know, some of these other players, but really not a, a star to find from, from 11 through 30 in this whole draft. And to feel already that certain that none of those players are going to break out, it's pretty pretty rare in year two to to have that. Yeah, I agree. And, and look, there are a ton of guys at the top of this class that I would feel like really, really optimistic about in, in any way. Like I think Mobley, I think Franz, I think Giddy, I think Green, like I think even Green, like if that situation Houston can just maybe get a little bit better, maybe things could get yeah. figured out there. But it's like not clear about like how that happens for some of these guys. Like, like. Is Houston like a one-year turnaround kind of thing? I don't, I don't know. I don't really see that. They're hard to go from as bad as they are to something more manageable. Like, what does Cade look? I mean, like honestly, like, what does Cade look like? Just kind of coming off of this this injury, like that's a that's a concern, you know. Um, there's just yeah. like a lot to navigate with this that I I don't envy. I don't envy the teams that have to figure some of that out. I, is where I end up. I have a a part of this that I think you'll like real quick here. Hit me. Um, the Rockets, it doesn't seem like Steven Silas is going to be brought back. I think I think this is either the last year of his contract or he's about to go into the last year of his contract. And their front office was asked about it and, and said, like, we don't comment on contracts, which is not what you would want to hear if you're Steven Silas, right? You would want to hear, we're going to talk about that very soon and we'll, he'll be brought back for sure. That's not what they said. Kenny Atkinson, your guy, the guy you, you bring up as the development guru, guy you want to coach your bad young team. Is he is he going to be the Houston Rockets coach next year? He did want the Charlotte job. Sure. So, I don't know. Maybe, but he definitely Rockets did. have a little more talent. Yeah. I thought you'd be more excited about Kenny Atkinson. Okay. I you can go to I your want next Ke- I just want Kenny Atkinson to like thrive and like be well and like I just if he didn't take the, if he didn't take that job with Lamelo, who has proven to be a more interesting young superstar than like Sangoon or, or Jalen Green, I wonder yeah. how he'd feel differently about this other option. That that's where I go. But I that, think that taking would be a like job a home, with home run hire. with like the cheapest owner in the league is probably has something to do with it. Well, also then MJ's not exactly creating the infrastructure to thrive in a basketball organization out there in Charlotte. Yeah, but then it's all heard, like so. it's it's Tillman. Are we sure Tillman is? He's he's richer at the very least. Got some money. Yeah, that's true. Got that PPP money, so he's he's still uh, spending. You know. Shout out to the that's a rich people. Okay, let's move on. Um, I'm gonna think about that though. Kenny Atkinson, there would be, that would be good. There are like like Orlando doesn't have a need to fire their head coach, but like he would be good with like all those wings in Orlando. Maybe coax some more offense out of Jalen Green and Mark. Also, Marco Fultz, by the way, back. I'm in. I'm back in. Just back in. Better player than Amen. Ben Simmons now. I don't mean to take another pew pew drive by Ben Simmons, but like who would I what what were the odds on Marco Fultz being like a better like NBA player in twenty twenty three than Ben Simmons? Like plus like fifteen hundred? Like plus three thousand? Like where are we at? <laughs> and and infinitely more fun also. Yeah. Like Fultz is a blast to watch. And Simmons even even early in the year when you were like, maybe this will work, like it wasn't exactly like 
exciting. So, and Fultz is exciting, well, which is exactly what he was at Washington. I got to see him when he was in college, and he just was like one of those dudes you couldn't take your eyes off of. He's at least back to being that. I don't even care if he shoots the ball. He just looks like he's having fun again. Brendan, by the way, uh, this is a little inside baseball. You and I are in a fantasy basketball league together that you're doing much better than, than I am. I took Ben Simmons in that I beat league. you like two weeks ago. You smoked me. I oh. took Ben Simmons in that league, and that, that told, that's I've had a lot of Ben Simmons time. Okay. My, my <laughs> second to last one. I think okay. teams should, should look at this last year and look at last summer in particular and just be very, very careful about trading future picks. Hmm. I think there are circumstances where it does make sense. I think it makes sense for Phoenix. I think it made sense for Cleveland. What those two teams got, the Suns obviously got Kevin Durant. You trade a lot of picks for Kevin Durant under multiple years of team control. No-brainer. You look at Cleveland, they got Donovan Mitchell, who is having the best season of his career. And like, if things go really wrong, you could, in theory, flip him again if you really had to. If it came to that, you could go get a bunch of picks from him again before his contract runs out if things get sour for whatever reason. Or you sign him to another contract and still have him like going forward. That's a good position. But look at what Minnesota did and look at what Atlanta did. Are either of those teams happy with where they're at right now based on these trades they made this summer? I would venture to say no. I don't think either of these teams would, in terms of Atlanta, in terms of... Atlanta, Minnesota should feel particularly happy about those trades. And I think you have to be, if you're going to do three firsts and swaps, and swaps are like almost like crypto, they're just like fake. At this point, like, I just like, if you're trading them with a good team, like, okay, whatever, like, you're, it's, you're probably not going to swap. It's just like a thing you can like put in the press release. Or you're jumping a few picks and it's, it's not that. Ooh, 17 to 14. Oh, yeah. Big deal. Yeah, I I don't I think teams should be very, very particular about if they're going to throw in all these chips, particularly if you're not a team that has just like loaded with picks. I think this summer proves that, like, you got to be ultra careful with some of this stuff. Minnesota will be an interesting test case, I think, um, because they're kind of right on the fringe of what I'm talking about. But I think overall, the, the main deal to me is just do you have young talent in place already that will prevent that will that will create a, a high enough floor for you that you won't feel completely just broken if you end up giving the pick away down the line like the suns not for sure that in you know 2028 or whatever that they'll have devin booker playing at a really high level that's a long time from now a lot of different things can happen but for the next few years even if KD isn't great or ends up getting traded again or who knows what, like they have Devin Booker, they're only going to be so bad, you know? I think with Atlanta, yeah, we don't know, right? Like we don't know if Trey will be there long-term. I don't think they have quite the level of young talent in place around him that you would feel like they're bulletproof from the bottom falling out from underneath of them. But Minnesota's right on the cusp. I think it's going to be kind of fascinating where do they have, is Anthony Edwards good enough? to prevent the worst case scenario. I think that's kind of what they're betting on. I think they're also betting on something we've talked about before of if that doesn't work, they could just trade towns and get some of those picks back. Like we just saw the nets do. There's a whole bunch of things that factor in, but I think you at least have to have that infrastructure of like, we have two or three young players that are going to be here for a long time. So we're only going to be so bad. Even if we do end up giving that pick unprotected when we're worse than we are, we can't, we, you can't do it if there's a reasonable chance you're going to be awful. And I don't know if anyone that I think is going to be awful has done that yet, but there's some that are very clearly teetering and well, the Timberwolves are number one. Well, well, it's like if you're Atlanta and you traded all the stuff for DeJounte Murray, like, and you're 
the 20 of the 22nd net rating, you're probably going to be a playing team. Yeah. What do we like? What are we what are we doing here? Like, what was the what was the what was the point of all this? And there are other things out of their control, obviously, like, you know, like maybe Deontay Dandre Hunter hasn't taken that big of a step forward. Like, you know, Clint Capella has like not been, I think, as good the last couple of months. It's not just like fully on the trade, but like the trade is supposed to elevate you and it doesn't feel like that trade has yeah. elevated them in the way you really would have liked it to. And I think that if I'm them, I'm pretty frustrated. I'm frustrated by that. And if I'm another team, I'm like, there are teams that can like maybe navigate some of this, right? Like there are some certain teams that we can look at and say like, they have so many picks that they can like deal from a position of strength and maybe be okay. Maybe Memphis would have been one of Maybe Memphis could have been one of those. Uh, maybe Oklahoma city is one of those, but not every team has that luxury. Like Minnesota didn't have that luxury. The Cavs didn't have the luxury. Atlanta, two out of those three teams, I think, feel pretty unhappy right now. Is where I, what I would think, or at least disappointed. Maybe disappointed is the right word. Yep, I do not disagree. I think it'll be fascinating to watch how those play out and and how the league kind of factors or adjusts. Do we see these trades continue, or or do we get that one obvious red flag that? makes the league a little scared to, to follow suit in the future. Um, I think the, I had one that is probably a bigger conversation, so I will leave it for a different time. Well, no, let's um, te- we touched let's, on let's, it let's a, tease a little it. bit. Let's tease it. Well, it's just, it's, it's related to the point guard thing that I had earlier, which is the offensive transformation okay. of the league changing a little bit and, or, or, or plateauing. The, the, the change is, is slowing down. We're not seeing this revolution we've been seeing but I kind of want to see how the rest of the season goes. Um, but yeah, I can like the main things are the, and there was an awesome article by Lewis Zatzman at 538 earlier this year about how NBA teams are bringing the post up back and that efficiency on post ups is just out of this world this season, but they're happening less frequently than ever. But he described that it's just sort of a vehicle for other stuff now where it's a, it's punishing a switch. It's creating space. It's, you know, using a post-up as a screen like Jokic often does all these different ways of using post-up. So that change is happening. Meanwhile, passes per game way up even than last year, even than the years prior. It's, it's like the highest in a half decade, whereas three point rate is the lowest right now that it's been in about a half decade. So this idea that the NBA is just this um, kind of boring monotonous, homogenous game to throw a bunch of big words out there, Chris, it's just not really true. I think the game's in a really awesome place and I think it is continuing to evolve. So it's similar to what I was saying with the point guards. That's one positional example, but I think overall the offense that we see, yeah, there's a lot of threes, but it's not just going to keep going up forever. And the ways teams are playing is still very different. And and as a league, it's continuing to change every year. Let's uh, I'm going to suggest an episode on this in full. Let's like each pick our five players that explain where the league is at right now, team. So we each get to draft like a starting five man unit and we get to pick. Is Jokic just off limits? Because I feel like, I mean, he's, he's just like, a whole episode. <laughs> yeah. Jokic is also just like, by the way, did you see that Tim Bontemps MVP pool, huh? Seems like some people are going to be real mad online. Maybe we should talk about that at some point too. Yeah, we we got it. We'll we'll be talking plenty about Jokic. I think. I mean, he's he's probably the guy with the most uh, intrigue about what he does in the postseason as well. But yeah. he he explains a lot of this, right? I mean, he he is a player who encapsulates a lot of how the game is continuing to change. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he grew up in a part of the world that plays basketball pretty differently than we play it. 
if we want to put take Jokic off the board I, I, for that conversation, I don't think that's a bad idea. Or at least maybe only one of us can claim Jokic. Like if you want Jokic, I, I can go a different route. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think it's it's something we can definitely put a pin in. Um, my last one is is kind of along these lines, so I'll just jump to it here as well. It's about the face of the NBA, which is another thing we can we can probably revisit. But you're, you're looking at another season where the top three MVP finishers could all be international players. It's the same three guys that have won or been second in the past, you know, three, four MVPs between Giannis, Jokic, and Embiid. Aside from Giannis, I think you could probably make the case that none of the other two guys are really like a famous player of a household name by any means. I, I think you could throw Luka in there too as another player who might be fourth in MVP voting who isn't really like a superstar celebrity like a lot of the NBA players who who came before them were. And I just think you look at the younger guys and I'm, I'm just sort of curious and maybe it's something more less so of a takeaway from what we've seen so far and something I'll have my eye on going forward. But Jaw hasn't really hit that level. There's been this level of villainy with him and well, I think he's... I have a pushback on job at finish. We can have a jaw conversation. Zion obviously has not um necessarily just been front of mind enough he's not playing basketball enough to reach that level i think if he had if he just got to the nba and and his health stuff was behind him he he probably would be number one on on this list and then i think anthony edwards has a very good case from a charisma standpoint from a goofiness standpoint and not taking this stuff too seriously standpoint and just the fact that when he's on there might not be a player in the nba more fun to watch i could see ant really forcing himself into this conversation before long. But um, it's fascinating because I think by the time like Kobe was going away, we it already had the baton had already passed to LeBron. And, and before that, the baton had already passed. We had a little bit of a stretch between Jordan and I guess probably Kobe and LeBron kind of taking it. But he had like Shaq. So that, had, that could be where we are yeah. right now. Yeah, it, but Shaq was famous, right? We don't have that next guy who we're like, okay, it's just a matter of time before it's so-and-so, and and they just need to get there. We don't really know who it'll be, and that's kind of interesting. Two things I would say. Number one, I think maybe that's also in in part because the talent level in the league is just like absurdly high right now. Like there are so many different ways it could go. There isn't like one guy that is clearly just like grab the crown. Secondly, in regards to Ja, when the Grizzlies were in town, and I don't think this is like just a Cleveland thing. This seems like it's like kind of everywhere. The kids love Ja. The amount of kids oh, I saw yeah. in Ja jerseys, and I I don't want to undervalue that. I want to put. No. I think the kids maybe will decide this more than like we will. Like I'm. I'm you mean about, I don't? You mean I'm not a tastemaker, Chris? Is that what you're accusing me of? Look, I'm just saying I'm about a th- I'm a nearly thirty year old man. You're how old are you, Brendan? I'm about to be twenty six. Okay, so you're a little younger than me. So you, to me, you're like you're young, but. Uh, okay. I don't, I, uh, I don't think I'm, I'm going to be the guy that the NBA brings in for a, uh, an interview or a survey about what's coming next. No, but I, like, I yeah, I some, some, put there. but like the, the Gen Z kids like love Ja and like, they're probably going to decide this in a way that we're not even thinking yeah. about right now. Like the TikTok he generation, has sne- he has a sneaker coming out. Yeah. TikTok generation. Like he, he, he took that from Trey Young, if we're being completely honest. I, I not yeah. that Trey doesn't still have a no, lot he, of supporters he's, if he's, you look at like the fan vote in the all-star game, but. Josh stole that. Yeah, Josh snatched that crown. But I think I think this is a good shout. I think uh, the international component of it's really interesting as well. Like, and Wemby, if Wemby moderately hits expectations uh, of what he could be, and the NBA I think is trying to push him. Like, it is not 
is significant that they yeah. they put his games on the NBA app and like push him in that way. That is not, and it's it's probably not a mistake that they did a game in Paris this year. It was not a good mm-hmm. game, but they played a game in Paris. <laughs> they put the Chicago Bulls in Paris. Bulls Pistons. Yeah, what are you yeah. doing, NBA? Like, come on. Um, they probably couldn't convince the superstars to go to France during the season. Yeah. It's like when Tom Brady complained the whole time he was in Germany that that game this season in the NFL. And yeah. it was just like, okay, Tom, could you not complain about our marquee event? I think that maybe the NBA was trying to avoid that. Yeah, could, yeah. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, they put Scoots games, they put Scoots G League games on uh, the app as well. And they notify the heck out of you if anyone has the app you hear or see yeah, the, the and that's smart all the time that's so. really really smart yeah, and like it uh it's it's that's that's well done but that's gen z is going to decide that all right my last one this is a very simple one brendan i think the kings and the pacers should feel both feel really good about about their trade that they made last year i think you look at both of these teams and you look at what they did and yes like i would take Halliburton over fox I, I like I understand from like a value perspective, you can go back and look at that and be a little like, OK, like that was kind of a weird one. But like the Kings are awesome in a large part because they got Demonis Sabonis and like they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to get that environment They're They're on the ascendancy. Like that team is a ton of fun to watch. And then Halliburton is like the 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 crux of what Indiana is building right now. Halliburton is a star. Halliburton is a very deserving all star. He's having a phenomenal year. Again, like the semantics of the trade are a little weird, but like, and let's just Fox has been incredible. Fox is a very deserving all star, like, been it, been having like a great, great year, incredible clutch numbers this year. I think both those teams, it's one of those few trades I look back and I think, you know what? Both teams are probably pretty happy and really benefited from, from that shakeup that they made. Definitely not nearly as much of a lopsided mistake as people kind of thought it might be for Sacramento, I think. Um, the one thing I would say, though, Chris, is just sort of long term, it it's going to continue to be a question if it's possible to build a championship team overall with the Sabonis prominently featured. And I'm just not like I don't care. Like, can I just say I don't care about that right now? In two years, I'll right care now, about no, it. and that's why I said long term, right? Like yeah. this year, it's it's just gravy. This is an awesome season for Sacramento. You know, like. No, I think we've both uh, have established we don't see them as championship contenders, but like it doesn't matter right now. I just think when you're talking about the fact that the main difference in that trade between the two players is that Halliburton was significantly younger, you you do kind of have to look in the long term and did you set yourself up for success? I do I I just think that has to play a factor when you're going to see Halliburton in his prime and Sabonis if the best thing he ever did was get the Kings back into relevancy, establish a culture, establish a winning pedigree, get some playoff wins under their belt. Maybe that's enough. I don't live in Sacramento. I'm sure Kings fans feel differently than me as just some sort of observer. Who's like, well, actually, you know, but like that, that has to matter because I think there are just, there is a cap on defensively what you're going to be able to do with Sabonis. And I think that has a lot to do with why we feel the way we do more than Fox why people undervalue the Kings as a real threat in the finals is it's just hard to, to really stop teams when Sabonis is your center. It's just, it's just true. And we'll see what happens, but I think we can all expect that'll be a really big problem come playoff time. No, for sure. I just, I think it's going to, I think they are a team that just like needed to take some kind of step forward. I think Sabonis help unlock that. And like, that's fun. And like, I've listened to a couple episodes of lockdown King shout out to, to Matt George and, 
Like, it seems like that team's just like a ton of fun for that community. And like, I like maybe I'm just getting old and sappy, Brendan. I think that's entirely possible. Uh, you gotta, there's gotta be people listening who are older than you who are feeling pretty uh, enraged by you calling yourself old. I think. I mean, look, anyone who knows me knows I'm like spiritually just like kind of like I've been an old soul. Just 50. <laughs> I, you know, 50 might be a little strong, but like 30s, 30s, just like a very angsty, like 35 has been like my default, like my entire life, probably. Uh, Chris Longo, who helped, it's shout out to him in the Den of Geek crew, probably can, can, if he listens this far into the show, he could text me and tell me if that was how I was in college, because I think it probably was. But um, I just like think that like it's more fun when like, people are engaged and like one of the things that like i think sometimes that in in the structure of how the nba works is that like there are times where i feel like fan bases except for the sickos online and i'm talking about rocket fans more than anybody else uh like are just really really disengaged and like you can feel it yeah. and it's like sacramento being relevant again and having something to really get excited for again is is really cool like i i yeah. that's what sports to me is ultimately about is just like bringing some stuff and like yes like are they going to win a title with Simonis? I would like take no. I would say no on that. But this is like better than anything they've had since like the late '90s, early 2000s. Like this surpasses and anything I saw it in Phoenix. Surpasses anything they did from the Boogie era. You know what I mean? Like this, this go blows by Absolutely. anything they had with Boogie. Yeah, I mean, I saw it in Phoenix, right? James Jones lost like five trades in a row the minute he became general manager. He cleared house, he switched things up, he did all, all of it in the name of getting better and getting more relevant and getting more respected and all that stuff. And if you carry that out, you carry that forward, turn good players into better players. I'm not saying everybody ends up with Kevin Durant, but I do think the Chris Paul thing is a great example of what can happen, right? You become desirable, you become a place players want to play, you have an infrastructure, you bring in the missing piece, and you can make a run. So I, I don't want to discount that. Um, but I do think there are going to be some Kings fans who can 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 do both at one time and be like, yeah, but it also would still be nice to have Tyrese Halliburton. You know, it's, it, it is going to be, it, it, it is good for both teams right now, but I do think that's going to be one where we kind of have to judge it in five years and see what did both fan bases really come away feeling about that trade. It's, it's going to be an inflection point. I think it's cool. Yeah. Uh, Brennan, this has been fun. This has been jam-packed as always. Sometimes I, you know, like there's points where I'm like, oh, you know, like how are Brennan and I going to fill time, whatever. The NBA takes care of us, I will say. Never stops. Two more teams coming. They're going to give us uh, even more, so. Yeah, in the summer, I'm putting this out there now. Uh, we're doing uh, a multi, because when we get into like the dead of the summer, we're going to do like an expansion. Who do you protect on these teams? Draft post for agency. I'm down. I don't I'm know how. down to I, uh, play fantasy basketball. Yeah, and just really just like anger some people if we're like, hey, like, you know, you didn't protect protect you. But thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. Please subscribe if you haven't already on YouTube or your podcast platform, which is five-star reviews only. We'll be back again after the weekend with another episode of the Just Basketball Show. Shouts out to Jake Stevens for producing this one. Love, Jake. We'll be back at you soon. Everyone, be well. Follow us on social. Peace out. And you know what? Stay hydrated. It's important. <laughs>